following is a recording of a sermon given at All Saints Lutheran Church in Ottawa, Canada. For additional messages and more information, visit allsaintslutheran.ca. Good morning. The word of the Lord is from John chapter 2, or 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 to 29. And mine starts at verse 2. <laughs> Oh, okay. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in us, in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hides his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in light, and in him there is no darkness. There is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides it forever. Children, it is the last hour. As you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it may become plain that they are all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. 
Who is the liar but who he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If you were, if you heard from the beginning, if that abides in you, then you will too abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Alf. We're continuing our series in the letter of First John. I mentioned that this it seems what it had happened was John had relationship with several congregations, probably in what is now modern Turkey. It could be the same churches that are mentioned in the book of Revelation. And that he had some sort of close relationship with them, oversight of these uh, fellowships. And there were some people that were part of this community. And when I say community, community of, of believers over various cities. They were connected because of John's relationship to them. It seemed that there were those in that large community that um, had gone out. They, they might have gone out as preachers and teachers as opposed to um, leaving those uh, those fellowships in a bad way. But it's some, whether they did that or, or eventually, they began to teach untruths, wrong things about the Lord, about what it means to know God. And not only was that problematic, but it seemed that they still had, these people who had left the community had still had some sort of influence upon the people that were still part of the community. And John is seeking to address the confusion and the misguidedness of these teachings. Um, one of the things that I've noticed as I've been looking more closely at this letter is there's a lot of repetition. It seems John keeps coming back to some of the same things over and over again. But when he does so, he does it in a, each time in a deeper, a deeper kind of way. So it's not pure repetition. The section that we're looking at this morning comes it's a part of the passage that was read in chapter 2. We're looking at chapter 2, verses 7 through 17. And there's three sections here. 
for the first section has to do with who or or what to love and what not to love. And the third section is, sorry, I said this a little, I'm going to say this again. Um, the first part is who or what to love. The third section is what not to love. And in between, John provides some strong words of encouragement. So as I said, we're looking at verses 7 through 11 of chapter 2, but I want to lead in with three verses that we read last time, verses 4 to 6 of chapter 2, where he writes, Whoever says, I know him, so whoever says, I know God, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in, in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So on one hand, it seems that this should be so obvious, but it isn't obvious. It wasn't obvious in John's day, and it has, is not obvious in our own day. That those who say they know God are to live our lives like Jesus lived his life. And this is important to remember um, as we look at this reference to what John calls the new commandment, which is coming up in a moment. Right now, actually, verse seven, beloved, Here's, he's expressing a term of endearment, his loving connection to the believers in these churches. Beloved, I'm writing, you no new commandment, <clears throat> but I'm writing an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. There's a, something confusing here as he's talking about the old commandment, new commandment. And it, it, this new commandment could be a reference to the gospel of John, chapter 13, verse, verses 34 and 35, where we read, Jesus is speaking, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. It's possible that the false teaching of those who have had left this community is having an, a negative effect on those who had remained. And it's the, one of the effects is a growing animosity among the believers. So on one hand, the commandment is old. It's that the commandment basically of trusting in Jesus the Messiah. Jesus talked about a new commandment, that how he had given himself for his people in complete sacrifice. And, and so this had already been taught to the believers of John's community. They knew about Jesus. They knew about his sacrifice. But so what's the old and the new going, what's going on here? Well, it could be they'd never really faced the situation that they were in. And they were having to live out the, the life of God that they had discovered in Jesus in a way that they had not expected. wait for the plane to pass over. 
there's this ongoing reference to, to light and darkness in 1 John. And it's so important to remember that to know the light is to truly know Jesus. And of course, it's so easy for us to go, yes, we understand that. We believe in Jesus. We know the light. But as I've already mentioned in past weeks, and we'll repeat again, that John is very keen to insist that the believers understand that believing in Jesus is more than a, a believing in a concept of, of what he stood for, of what he, what he represented. To believe in Jesus is to believe in the man Jesus from Nazareth who really lived a truly human life. If we don't grasp that he lived this real life, God become a man to live a real human life the way humans were always meant to live, and it's this is whom we put our trust in, if we lose contact with and connection with that, we're not in the light. We are still in the darkness. And so then he goes on to say, whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. One of the things we see in 1 John is he doesn't provide any wiggle room. It's either you're this or you're that. It's like this or it's like that. There's no gray. There's nothing in between. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. If you claim to know Jesus, according to John, but hate your fellow believer, you are not in the light, plain and simple. And it's interesting that John, who is very clear and, and, and everything's clear cut with him, earlier we saw that if we say we have no sin but claim to be in the light, we're lying. But if we confess our sin, he, he never gets to the place where he says that um, he expects that, you, that we will not fail. And he'll talk later on, and we'll explain later on about how he talks about part of the, the object of his letter is so that we do not sin. And again, there's no wiggle room, but not sinning does, um, the goal of not sinning doesn't mean we're not going to fail. He's not saying to them, if anyone has failed ever to love your brother 100% of the time, you're out. He's not saying that. What he's saying is, let's not embrace a teaching that allows for the toleration of hating our brother. Doesn't mean we're not gonna fail, but it seems that there is a tendency among believers to tolerate wrong, to allow ourselves to um, habitually do wrong and in the name of God, in the name of Jesus, to tolerate that sort of thing. And that we must not do. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. So this begs the question is, what does it mean to hate our brother? What is hate? Many of us, when we think of hate, we get an instant picture of this kind of like clenching teeth, very passionate, aggressive emotions towards, uh, negative emotions towards someone. But that's not all that hate is. Hate actually is simply 
caring less about somebody. Something happens to someone and you could care less. That is biblical hate. Hate is anything that's not truly loving. So when we don't care about something, you know, it sounds strange to us. Like, because we don't, if we're not, if we're not thinking about so-and-so, we don't think of that as hate. But that is what John is talking about here. It's an emotional cutoff. So some of us have learned to be good boys and girls and how we relate to people. We agree to disagree. We just kind of leave it alone. And we develop what we might call a cold peace. And we have done that. I have done that. You can decide for yourself. I've done that with people. It's too hard. It's too painful. I can't take it anymore. And so I'm not being aggressive. I'm not writing the nasty letters. I may not be gossiping about them, but my heart is completely shut down. And we know that that happens in congregations, small congregations, large, large congregations. We're getting along, so to speak, but we avoid so-and-so. We don't talk with so-and-so. We used to sit together when we're allowed to sit together in church. We sat together with them, we, but now we sit on opposite sides of the room. But we're not at war. But the Bible considers that hate. Now, I do not believe that God calls us to care about everything and care about everyone. That's impossible. There's also people that they don't play nice. And so maybe there are certain things we should not be doing with certain people. And maybe there are subjects that we shouldn't insist on bringing up. I, I think there's room to navigate and negotiate some of these relationships. But are our hearts open? Have we forgiven? Have we asked for forgiveness when we should? Are we open to the Lord for what the Lord wants in those relationships? Or have we simply cut the people off? Verse 10 says, Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Because when we cut people off, we begin to stumble along in the dark. We cause all sorts of unnecessary trouble. And again, we don't have to be best friends with everyone. We don't have to be chums with everyone. That's not wise. But we need to be in a place where we wish them well. You know, there's a famous line in the movie Fiddler on the Roof, because in Jewish tradition, there is a bless. There truly is a blessing for everyone. And maybe I've told you this before. A, a, a religious Jewish pr person tries to say a hundred blessings a day. And so there's a scene early in the movie uh, that Jewish people in that day were under the oppression of, of, of the Russians and the head of Russia. It was the Tsar, which is a Russian word for Caesar. And um, so the disciples of this rabbi come up to him and says, is there a blessing for the Tsar? And he says, of course, there's a blessing for everything. And the blessing for the Tsar is, may the Lord keep the Tsar far away from us. <laughs> and maybe there's a time to pray 
that certain people that are causing trouble, it would be better if they would not be so close. And there's a time and a place for that kind of distance. But is our heart that is concerned for these kinds of boundaries hearts of love or hearts of neglect and, and coldness towards them? It's only when we live in the light of God, which is equated with loving our brother, that we could walk our own lives without stumbling. Verse 11, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. There's something about this not caring less about people that causes blindness. And this kind of blindness is the most It's the worst kind of blindness because when we're blind in this way, we don't know that we're blind. You know, when we're angry at other people, we often think we're seeing more clearly than anyone when actually we're stumbling along in the dark. Well, could you imagine hearing these words for the first time? Maybe some of us are thinking about them for the first time and all of a sudden it kind of goes clunk in our hearts and we think, oh no, Look what I have been doing. Well, then John jumps in with these words of encouragement, verses 12 to 14. I'm writing you little children because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. I'm writing you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing you young men because you've overcome the evil one. I write to you children because you know the father. I write to you fathers because you know him is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. In most contemporary English translations, this section is is written in poetical form. It's quite obvious that he's, in the middle of this letter, he he dives into this kind of stylized way of writing. Um, And he's he's doing so in order to get their attention. Maybe it's it's a... He intended for them them to memorize this short section as he repeats himself in different ways and sometimes in identical ways in these few verses, people wonder here, like, who are these little children, fathers and young men? Well, it seems that the little children or the children are simply all the believers that he's writing to. And people have wondered, are the the fathers those who are more mature in the faith and the young men less mature in the faith? It simply seems to be Uh, that he's talking to the older folks and to the younger folks. And so he's he's talking to this congregation in various ways, in an affectionate way, to remind them that their sins are forgiven for their name's sake. They know, they know the Lord, and they've overcome the evil one. And they're strong. He's encouraging them. And he's saying it over and over and over again. Now, it would be easy for us to just quickly take this and, and, and make it our own. John knew these people. They're more or less first-generation believers. John was trying to prevent the mess that has happened in the church for 2,000 years, where all sorts of teachings have been introduced to tell people uh, how, they can dis- how they can be assured of, of whether they're in with the Lord or they're not in with the Lord. And as a result, um, there are all people have bought into, if I may say, all sorts of nonsense, just like these 
false teachers were teaching all sorts of nonsense about God, about Jesus, what it meant to be their children. And all I could say at this point is we need to be keen to make sure that we really know the Lord. We need to listen to John's teaching very carefully that we are believing in the true Jesus who was born to Mary and lived a, a, a real human life and died for our sins and rose from the dead, that we truly believe in him and that we are turning our backs on all sorts of nonsense telling us what the real important things are about God and life when they're not. That just like Jesus said, we need to be loving God and loving one another. How that works out is more complex than two simple statements, but we need to keep our focus, and especially in our day. We're, um, we're being told now, love your neighbor means being vaccinated. And folks, I can't find that in the Bible. Maybe that's what we should do. But this is getting preached now from pulpits, where we have bought into a scientific worldview where we believe the government more than the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit's agreeing with the government, then I'll agree with the government. But I'm going to believe God. I'm going to believe his word, and I'm going to do what he says. No matter what anybody else thinks, that's biblical. But what happens is, and we're going to talk about other things, not just COVID as we go on, where the church is bought into all sorts of things that are not god And books have sold by the millions because somebody comes out with this thing that nobody ever thought of before and it becomes the thing that everybody's supposed to believe. And that's what these former disciples of John were doing and people were buying into it. And my brothers and sisters, we must not do that. And I will never say, therefore, believe me. I don't even believe me. My heart is to believe what God wants to believe. And we, you and I may not see it exactly the same way. Well, so be it, as long as we're pursuing him and hearing from him. Verses 15 through 7, uh, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I just mentioned about some of these books. Well, you could buy books today. I used to say you can go down to Salem and buy them. You can't do that anymore. Uh, you may not may have heard that the, there's a new used bookstore at Calvary Fellowship down on Bank Street, and I'm so grateful for that. That was not an ad. I'm just so happy that somebody's trying to do something so that we don't have to buy everything on Amazon. Um, but um, <clears throat> there are so many books out there, Christian books, that will try to teach us that we could both love the world and love God at the same time. The Jesus, even though Jesus said you cannot serve God and money, or mammon is, is the, uh, the term used, but that's basically what it means. You cannot serve God and, and money, but you could buy Christian books by Christian publishers that will tell you that you can. And people buy them by the, by the millions. And it, but again, according to John, there's no wiggle room. You cannot both love the uh, world and love God. You cannot claim to love the world and also claim that the love... Well, you can. But as John would say, if you say you, you uh, love the world and claim that you have the love of the Father in you, John would say you're a liar. 
Now, what, one of the things that gets confusing is he says, do not love the world. In Greek, it's cosmos. It's the same word used in John chapter 3, verse 16, when it says that for God so loved the world. And so we under, have to understand there's a difference between the fact that God loves the created order that he has made and that we should appreciate the beautiful trees and the blue sky and, and the wonders of, of God's creation. But our lives should not be based on a, a drive of, that's, that's rooted in the material world that drives us to do things because um, of the dynamics of this fallen world that we live in. John says, verse 16, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And so on one hand, the created order is good, but because of sin, the, the world we in, we're in drives us to please ourselves. And scholars try to figure out, like, what's he talking about? Desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes and pride of life, like all these different things. But really, it's a way to talk about a life driven by the material world in which we live. And as you know, it's so easy to find our identity and our confidence and our security in stuff. It is so easy to do that. And that's not just something that the rich do. It's something that the poor do. We base our, our things on our territory, on our stuff, on our, our family heritage, on, our, on, on whatever it is. We're to focus on the Lord and his word and his ways and to love one another. Verse 17. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. We live in a world that is cursed and it will be judged. And the question is, will we go down with it? Or will we rise like Jesus did? And God's plan is to renew and recreate his creation, the new heavens and the new earth. And Jesus' resurrection is the first taste of that long-expected renewal. We are given the opportunity to be part of that renewal. Or we could go down the drain with the, with the cursed earth. In order to be part of God's recreation project that was birthed through the resurrection of Jesus and has been going forth in the world ever since, we need to put our full trust in the man Jesus who lived a perfect life, suffered a horrendous death, and rose from the dead. We need to be focused on him and to live a life like he lived, not just watching from the sidelines and cheering him on, but following him, living life the way he did, which primarily was listening to the voice of his father and doing his will. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you have opened to us the possibility of not going down the drain 
with this cursed, sin-soaked earth. But you have given us the opportunity to know you through your Son, that we could walk with him, walk like him, and expect along with him your great renewal and restoration. God, may we be those people who walk in the freedom and power of eternal life, both now and as we await your son's return. Show us, Lord, where we have shut our hearts down to our fellow believer for whatever reason, Lord, and help us to have our hearts reopened again that we would love one another as is worthy of who your son is and what he's done. Forgive us, Lord, for where we have given in to the darkness. Help us to turn from it and allow your light to saturate our lives again. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For additional messages and more information, please visit us on the web at allsaintslutheran.ca.